not what we're doing. God wants us to be confident. That we know that perfect love casts out all fear. He wants us to rest fully in his perfect love. And I also want to just say that if you've been following the teachings for any time, and if you have really captured the heart of what we're doing, we're always trying to focus on what God intends to happen. Why is God moving the way he does? And in his life, we've learned that he moves the way he does because there's a goal that God is trying to reach. There's a, with us, I mean, he's already reached his goal, but for us, we're still walking it out. We're still walking that, that, that place out and fulfilling those things that he has in place. One thing that I love doing is walking you all through the scriptures. I don't mind um, doing that because I think it helps us to see what God is saying as opposed to sometimes just what we think. And when I teach, I try to bring you along a specific trajectory because, um, because everything that I believe we do is building toward a greater truth. That's why sometimes I redirect when people have opinions and insight, because I want to be sure that a particular point is not lost. But that doesn't mean what you share is not relevant or not appreciated and not needed because it is. And so as you share today, as we walk today, I hope that we are really, really coming into a place where we can see this. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I mean, I am so glad to have you here. And um, there's going to be a lot of words and things that come forth at the end of the year. I'm not doing this because it's the end of the year. And if you all know that, um, with me particularly, we've been talking about what is to come for months, for months. So this is not the end of the year roundup prophetic word. That is not what this is. I just feel like it's the culmination of our teachings on the life of God and taking a closer look at what the Lord is doing in this particular group, what he is doing among us. So I, I really think that that part is important. I don't need the scriptures just yet. So I'll leave that down there. So I'm just going to go through. I have my, as my, as my grandkids say, my notebook, my handy dandy notebook from their life and blues clues and all of that. But I believe the Lord is, has really been leading us in this last year into a place of fullness. And if you know about um, Ephesians 4.11, because we've hit that so many times, we've talked extensively about full measure. And the whole purpose of the Ephesians 4.11 gifts being placed in a local community, um, being in a local church, is for us to grow in fullness, the fullness of Christ. And what does that mean? It means stability of mind, stability of heart, it means to know what it is that God wants from us. What does he want from the world? And like I said before, he doesn't want to scare you. What God wants to do is turn our hearts toward him so that we are fortified in this earth realm for whatever, you know, is before us. And I believe we've done um, a decent job of that in the conservatory over the last um, couple of years, particularly we have been fortifying ourselves spiritually for the season we are in. 
and I, I'm right now. And what do I mean by that when I say the season we are in? I'm talking about this dispensation of the gospel in which certain things happen that causes us to have to readjust in unfamiliar territory. And due to COVID, due to um, different things happening in different countries, there's a lot of shared trauma. And we've been in these last two years, we've been in a place in history that our generation has never been in before. And what I mean by our generation is all those people that are alive right now. This is not a word about age. So from, I guess, if you look at the whole world from maybe January 2020 until the moment we are in right now, it's been one crazy crisis after another. And it's been such that we are constantly readjusting, constantly trying to shift from one place to the next because what's happening is really beyond our control. But as those things happen outwardly, we have a whole lot of things that happen within us internally, that happen within us, around us, because life still goes on. We still, you know, have, have the concerns and the cares of life in the midst. And we still have all of the trauma, all of the crazy things that happen to us. We still have the warfare. We still have the battle that is raging against, um, against us that's in, in place. And we're going to talk a little bit about warfare today as well. And um, um, the next year, we're going to go extensively in what I believe in, what I believe the conservatory should know about spiritual warfare, because I know that that is a struggle with some of us, because some of you don't know what I teach on that. But if you've been inside the scribe school, you already know. So this is not going to be news to you. And we need to talk about righteous warfare and how to war and how to battle and how to overcome a lot of these struggles, but we don't have to do it religiously. And that's where our teaching um, jumps in because a righteous life can deal with a lot of the personal deep stuff that we deal with, but the outer stuff that comes at us, that's a whole nother story. So we've looked at that right now. We've looked at the season that we're in. And I know some people like, I don't like to say season, but it is a season. A season is a set time that will pass. Whatever we're experiencing now, even life, even death, and we learn from Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time for everything under the sun, which is in the earth realm. There is a time for everything. So there are seasons for things, seasons for grief, seasons for um, all kinds of matters. And Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through that whole chapter, but 1 through, um, I think, um, 8 or something like that fits that pretty well. So we're looking at that. So our effort has been to be vi vigilant. What I've tried to teach is to help all of us become vigilant because it's only in being vigilant that we can be aware of what is before us. Vigilance doesn't, it, it just basically means that you're watching out for difficulty. You're always, okay, God, this could be a difficult situation. I have my eye on it. How can I navigate this? What can I look at to, to kind of change it? How can I pray? How can I? So being vigilant is not just watching everything, 
It's also preparing yourself. And that is the part that I think we need to talk about because vigilance is also about preparation. What good is it to see everything if you don't know how to properly respond to what you see or how to put your mind and heart in those positions where you can navigate what you see effectively. The other thing I wanna say about vigilance is that um, vigilance is very important in community. We can watch the whole world, but what makes vigilance so powerful is when we understand how what is happening around us, get this, is affecting the community that we're in because it's in that interdependency that we gain power to be able to move and operate in those things that we are vigilant concerning. So I hope that makes sense, you know, and we have all types of vigilance, vigilance within families, vigilance within um, associations. So there are all kinds of vigilance, but spiritual vigilance, that's what we are built for within the communities where we are set and within our own lives. So with that thought, I want to take you to a couple of scriptures. And, we're, and again, we're going to talk about, this is just a prophetic message I believe God has given us to cause us to round up everything that we've kind of been learning over the last two years, because I believe vigilance has been one of our things. Maturity has been one of our things. Maturing in our mind and in our thoughts have been one of our things. And I often share with people, if we could ever love God and be obsessed with God, like we often find people obsessed with relationships, it would change our lives. God wants us to have an obsession with him. <laughs> I mean, he does. But, but sometimes for some reason, we're not able to cultivate that at the level that it needs to be. And that's what I've been hoping to do with us here inside the conservatory, because we have to enter that place of elevating Christ above men in every situation. It's not just worshiping pastors and leaders, it's elevating Christ above children, elevating Christ above crazy marital situations, elevating Christ above crazy um just if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something, it's elevating Christ above any and all of those situations that can bring chaos into your life. It's learning how to stabilize the spirit because it is the spirit to whom we have committed ourselves to and growing in, in the Lord. So I hope that um, that is at the forefront with us. So, so let's start with, um, just want to look at, I guess this is 1 Peter 5, and I just want you to hear this. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I'm not teaching on that, but I need to read it for the context of where we're going. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. In the same way, 
you who are younger, submit yourselves. And we know in the conservatory, we should know that the word submit is not that word, you must obey me. Submit is more of be as teachable as you can, be willing to learn, humble yourselves. So we should see that in the same way you who are younger, humble yourselves to your elders, be teachable before your elders. That's all that means. I just needed to throw that out there because we see the word submit and we confuse that with like this military command of obey. And that's not always what that means. And it's crazy when you hear people teach marriage and they teach it from that, um, you must do this standpoint, not understanding what co-laboring is and all of that. So I just wanted to share that. So all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another um, because God oppresses the proud and shows favor to the humble. So that's evidence that what I'm sharing with you is true about the word submit. Because now you see that all God is saying hum is humble yourself. <laughs> you, you can see that. He's saying be teachable. He's saying use this as a learning moment. He's saying use this as an opportunity to consider yourself in someone else's shoes. So that's what the, he's saying. And it's in the same way you who, who are younger, listen, maybe you'll learn something. Be teachable. That's what that means. So I just want you to know that that's fortified when you hear God say he opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. And then he goes on and he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your frustrations, all your fears, all your um, trouble, all of your doubt, all of that uncertainty, cast it on him because he cares for you. And I often, it took me a long time to understand that passage of scripture, verse seven, but the analogy that the Lord gave me, he said, Teresa, when you're in crisis, you absolutely have, and this is just over life. And I'm thinking when I was in college, I would always get my girls together and we'd talk about the problem. They'd help you try to find solution, give you insight. They got your back. So I understood how to cast my cares on my friends, right? So a lot of us know how to cast our cares. We just have to change the object of who we cast them on. So I think that helps a lot of us sometimes with understanding how to make that practical. So instead of running to everybody else for help, we have to figure out how to turn to the Lord while we're also seeking help in, in, in places of counsel and wisdom, because at the end of the day, it's really the Lord that's going to be able to answer. And so I like that. But this is the part about vigilance. Verse eight, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I have homework for you. And um, I have a lot of homework for you today because I want you to begin looking at words that you see that have the devil in them because religions will have us thinking that it's the actual devil with horns, hoofed feet, um, you know, a pitchfork following you around. So I want to make sure 
that when you study the scripture that we're able to let go of this perception of the devil that we have in some passages of scripture. So your enemy, the devil, because that word, if and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making it up. You just go look it up in the Greek and you're going to discover real quick that it just means that your enemy, the slanderer, whoever's accusing you, the truck. So the, the people problems, your enemy, the, 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 the people that are influenced under their unrenewed mind, they're influenced by their own wickedness, their evil actions, people trouble that comes that you're not being treated right on the job. So we're looking at your enemy. Even it could be how you see yourself could be who you fight against. Look, we need to begin to see these scriptures for what they really say. Um, not, not for what we perceive, or we'll have people fighting the wind. We come against this and that. We come, look, that might be true, depending on what you're dealing with. But in this passage of scripture, you're being alert and you're being sober concerning all the opportunities and avenues that trouble could come your way. Trouble is always before us. There is a snare always before us. And the person who is responsible for identifying that snare is you in your alertness and your soberness. Your alertness and your soberness. Why is this important? Prophetically speaking, those are two of the best weapons we have right now. Your ability to be sober and your ability to be alert. Your ability to be sober and your ability to be alert. For example, I recognize for me, I had to come off social media. In order for me to be alert and sober-minded, I had to exit all of the conversations that Christians are having that are counter God or counter intention, that are counter love, that are counter peace. That's what I had to do. I don't know what it is that you have to do. I promise you, we're getting to a point. There's a prophetic point to all of this. And I just know the Lord is with us as we walk through this. And then the scripture says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same kind of suffering. You know, I've ministered to people, you know, as you have, and I've had to tell them, I know you feel like what you're going through is special, but listen, there are people all over the world suffering at the same degree that you are. There are people all over the world going through what you're going through right now. And there's a lot of disillusionment in the midst of the faith. There's a lot of hopelessness before us. But the word that I believe God is bringing to us today in this is, is fortifying the fact that over the last two years in the conservatory, we have gained tools that we need to stay focused and to keep our minds Vigilant. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I'm determined not to hate anyone. 
I'm, I'm determined. And it's a very hard step to take. I don't hate anybody at all. I don't have one person that I really dislike and to a point where I can't stand to see them walk in a room. I've never had anybody I felt that way toward. And I thank God for that. But that's a place that I have to guard my heart. Even when I went through the murder of my nephew, even when I've gone through other things, I've never felt that. And I thank God that the guardian of my heart and the, you know, to the point of screaming, I can't hate them. I can't wish them dead. God, whatever it takes to get me free of this, whatever it takes for you to be free, that's what has to take place because we are to be alert and of sober mind because our enemy, the slanderer, the accuser, the devil, oh my God, whoever it is, prowls around looking for a way in to corrupt your soul, to corrupt you, to cause you to not receive the total freedom that you can in the Lord. And God said, plain as day, he said, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And I want us to be found in that place of grace. I really do. I really do. And I believe God can do it. A lot of times our, our struggle, you know, it's funny that we think we're struggling with a person. I, you know, we think we're mad at a person or upset at a person, but I'm going to challenge you with something. When you really go and look in the mirror, the real struggle is your heart posture toward that situation and trying to figure out where God wants to take your heart and how you can recover from that place. Because there are some things you may never get solutions from, from people outside. So how can I do it? I can say, God, look, I'm, I'm, I'm angry about this, what was done to me on the job. So you can't fix that situation in that sense, but you can go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm casting my care. I want to guard my heart. I don't want to be bitter about this situation. I don't want to hold on to what happened. I can't do it on my own because it keeps coming up. So I'm asking you, God, help me. So the next scripture I have here is Proverbs 4.23. No need to explain it because we just talked about it. We all know it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. King James, keep your heart with all diligence. Oh, that's a vigilant place. For out of it spring the issues of life. So this is a vigilant scripture, a vigilant passage. So vigilance for the believer, and we've done whole teachings on this in the conservatory in context with other things, the whole thing is still about our heart posture. And last week, well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about in the life of God that God is always looking for ways to extend love and always looking for ways to extend kindness after having the most dirt done to anyone on the planet has been done to God. But yet he has mastered this aspect of love which is keeping your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. I always tell you, and I will stand on this to the day the Lord calls me home. 
is that I believe the hardest work of a believer is loving other people, is learning to love other people. It really is. <laughs> it really is. No matter where, what the situation or circumstance. There, listen, just go with me on this trip because we're, we're getting to a place. Um, this is the story. We're not going to do it. But this, you know, we walk through here and we hear, um, I'm just going to read the captions. Judas betrays, uh, agrees to be, uh, betray Jesus. We know about the Last Supper. We, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. So uh, then you have the Gethsemane experience. You have all of these things that Jesus experienced in a total of 74 scriptures as outlined in our Bible. But I want to read the part um, here. It's verse 36. I'm not going to teach on this. It's just for context. Um, this one, these first three verses, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I've never really thought about that scripture at the depth that um, I have over the last few weeks, few months. I may just teach on that one day because God gave me so much from it about um, having the will to live about staying, you know, sometimes you don't, you want to give up, you're tired of everything. And I know I'm not asking you all to go in the chat and say, this is me, but I know right now that there are people here that have even contemplated suicide. There are people here who've even said, what's the point? Nothing is going well for me. I'm in a very tough spot. You've struggled in your mind. You found yourself in places of difficulty that you have never been in before. But I want you to know that when we began to look at some of these things differently, um, we, we can see just how difficult the battle was even for Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus ever committed thought of suicide. I don't believe he did. But it does say that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, Jesus was so heavy so heavy he didn't want to do anything he just wanted to 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 lay there he was like y'all my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death and if you've ever been through something in your life that makes you feel this way you can actually understand where jesus is in this moment and he said to them stay here and keep watch with me but going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if possible, may this cup be taken from me. You're yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is like, I don't want this destiny. I don't want this purpose. I, I, I want to live. I want to do what I, can you just take this away? Why is this important? Because the season we are in and the time that we are in, many people are praying away something that will not go away. There's a lot that's happening right now in the earth. 
and it is not going away. There's a lot of tragedy. This is part of the prophetic message. There's a lot of tragedy and circumstances and chaos and confusion. People are losing their minds. They're snapping over sugar packets right in my own town. People got mad because a restaurant was out of Splenda and they began to attack the young people inside the restaurant because they couldn't get a packet of Splenda through a drive-through. Why am I sharing this with you? Because the minds of people are fragile without Jesus. The minds of people are fragile without Jesus. It wasn't about the sugar. It wasn't about the fact that they didn't have it. People are snapping. Things are going haywire. Parents are murdering their children in record numbers. Children are murdering their parents in record numbers. The crimes that these things are happening. And we are praying God stop them and he is going to intervene. He is intervening in a lot of situations. But there are some things that will not go away. And we can pray the hedge around ourselves and be protected. We can extend our tents, but there will still be people who stand under the scripture where it says it rains on the just and the unjust, whether it's a gentle rain or whether it's a hurricane or a tsunami-sized storm. There are some things in this season that will not move until the season has passed. Until the season has passed. Oh God, I hope you're hearing me. So what do we do? We undergird using the tools that God has given us. We undergird with the truth of knowing one thing. And the one thing is God has always provided a way of escape for those who are his. Oh my God. God has always provided a way of escape for those who are his. Listen, then he returned. This is verse 40. That, 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 hold on. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch for an hour? Watch with me for an hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. We are in a season of recognizing that the cup we are facing in this season cannot be taken away unless we drink what is before us and declare your will be done. We are, sometimes we fight against things that 
we don't need to be fighting against. We're praying against things that we don't, we need to jump in the river and we need to find out every opportunity and every place that God has provided a door, every place that he has provided an opportunity, every place that he has provided hope, and we have to hold on it like a roller coaster gone wild for dear life. That is where the church is right now. Listen, we have to figure out how to stand and we have to figure out how to fortify our minds, our hearts, our soul, our strength to put us in a position where we can endure. We can, in the midst of everything happening in your life, because listen, a lot of us are gonna be like Peter. A lot of us, look, I, I got my own problems. I'm tired. My flesh is weak. You're asking me to pray, but I'm not even that fortified to do it. And Peter wanted to pray. Peter wanted to be vigilant. He, he was tired. He was worn out. You can't get angry with people because they cannot meet you in their own places of exhaustion. Oh my God. Well, the pastor didn't pick me up in the spirit. Maybe you should have made that phenomenal phone call because the pastor is in the same season that you were in. Well, that's the intercessor and we ain't got that many people. It's not about that. It's about humbling yourself and recognizing that this is the kind of season where interdependency is required like it has never been before. The only way that the congregation is going to survive is if we learn to love each other to the point where things that are happening in the world system is not our priority. We must stand together. See, the, the window that the Lord has been showing me has been getting smaller and smaller. Every time we get a little hope from the world, we're thinking we can breathe and go back to normal. And now Omicron is in our face. And that circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so many of us are not seeing that God is pushing us together. And he's trying to call us to see the power in small groups and we're running from it. When all of our hope, when all of our help, when all of our walking through the hard places is going to be found in our interdependency, our ability to unify, not just your clique, but showing the person you don't like that you have hope and love in helping them. Oh my God, I hope you're seeing this. I hope you're seeing this. Going a little father, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, 
My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We have to recognize that God knows what's going on. He recognizes the suffering. He's well aware of the loss of life, just like he was during the Passover and just like he was in the days of Jesus. Some good people died as martyrs. The greatest apostles that ever walked the earth died violently and horribly, but God was no less with them. Oh my God. Maturity is a beautiful thing. Fullness is a beautiful thing as we take those baby steps into it. I would never say that I have arrived, but I'm learning more about fullness every day. And the intention of fullness is to cause us to persevere and to endure. And to do so with the joy that the Lord provides. Verse 43, it says, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. Sometimes you have to walk away. I'm not talking about leaving people. He had to go to the end of himself. Now, I want you to just hold on to this. So he left them. But I want you to go back to his confession. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he realized he couldn't get any help from the people he was with, not because they didn't want to help, but because they were tired themselves. And they really couldn't do anything for him in that moment. Most of the time when I've been taught this passage, it's been from a place of tremendous rebuke. They couldn't stay awake just one hour. You should be able to pray all night. Not if you're tired. Not if your body tore out and hurting. Not if you're broken. Not if you're in the middle of your own struggle. Not if your mind is about to break. Oh my goodness, there's so much in this that we have not excavated ourselves. Jesus said, look, I got to figure out this myself. He left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Right. Something happened between so he left them and when he said, rise, let us go. Oh, my God, we don't get to see what happened in that between place. But as bad as things are now, God is saying to us, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here comes the devil. Here comes the tribulation. Here, whatever it is. Rise, let us go. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, it's hard. 
So much of life is taking place in the midst of impossible times. We don't need another list of 50,000 things we've heard 50,000 times. We need to act. We need to act. We need to take the tools and keep moving. Oh my goodness. We must have vigilance with preparation. Oh, Acts 20, 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I have never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. For months, we've been in preparation for what is to come. What we are seeing is just the beginning of what we will see worldwide. Things are not going to improve anytime soon. That's not speaking death. That's speaking reality. Jesus's reality was plain. They could have rabbi shot all night that he not be betrayed, but it never would have changed what would have to take place. Some things we have to recognize them for what they are. And the next question that we have to ask is God how do I navigate what is? How do I navigate what is right now? First in my soul, God. First in my soul. And how? So that I won't faint. So that I won't succumb to some crazy lie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so simple but yet so hard. This is the last major scripture I want to share with you. And, and I, I just want you to see it. And also I want you to see that word devil real quick so that you can see what I was talking about. Metaphorically, when you read the Bible, it's applied to a man who by opposing the cause of God may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him. A, um, a, when the term devil is used in some places, it's a false accuser, a slanderer, a, cal a calumniator, uh, prone to slander, slanderously accusing falsely. It's not necessarily talking about a man, with a, a devil. <laughs> I mean, you know, a physical devil. It's not necessarily talking about a demon. People love making things demonic. But when people don't have the Lord in their hearts, when they are on the edge and near mental break, they snap, they lose their mind. They, the, our, our physical mind doesn't have the capacity to hold a lot of what's happening now and people are folding under the pressure. And listen, when they crack, they open the door for things much worse which could very well be demonically influenced, like murdering your whole family, like killing these two women, kill the one woman's child and buried her in the backyard. Then you get into the demonic realm because you're opened up to everything.